0: Welcome to the Under Grace Podcast. This podcast covers everything of how Jesus Christ, Yeshua, God, or Jehovah relates to us. God represents all things holy, pure, righteous, just, praiseworthy. The list goes on and on. Every human is a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. However, the story doesn't end there. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Grace is undeserved, God-given help, offered to everybody for our renewal or purification or forgiveness. Still with me here? Great. Get ready to sit back and enjoy God's grace. Welcome to another episode of the Undergrace podcast. I recorded another podcast called Why Sex Outside of Marriage is Wrong. This one is kind of a sequel to that one. So, if you need to get caught up, listen to that one first. These episodes might cause some controversy among you guys. Some of you will agree with me. Others totally won't, and that's fine. Just listen to what I have to say and I would love to hear some suggestions and comments about this. Let's jump into this. I'll start with a quote by journalist George Leonard. Casual recreational sex is hardly a feast, not even a hearty sandwich. It is a diet of fast food served in plastic containers. Life's feast is available only to those who are willing and able to engage life on a deeply personal level, giving all, holding nothing back. This episode is called cohabitation. Should we move in together? What is cohabiting? Cohabiting is simply defined as two people of the opposite gender living together in the same home or apartment with long-term or permanent intentions. It is also called shacking up or living together or moving in with one another. Throughout this episode, I will refer to non-married people as partners, Keep in mind that these are people of the opposite sex, not same-sex couple. That's a topic for another day. Why do I even bring this up? I bring up cohabitation because I have seen too many people choose this route, and it is rarely discussed. Gone are the years when living together was considered wrong. It is now a commonplace in today's Western culture. Up to 40% of college-age people have at one time cohabitated. Cohabiting does have some happy endings, but there are very few of them. University of Michigan sociologist Pamela Smock states, Only about one-sixth of live-ins last at least three years, and only one-tenth endure five years or more. Marriages preceded by living together have 50% higher disruption rates than marriages without premarital cohabitation. In other words, many people choose to live together, but statistically, it's not the right choice. Most of the time, one or both of the partners end up getting either financially or emotionally ruined, and in the long run, it would have been better for them if they would have chosen something else besides moving in together. I will discuss alternatives to cohabitation toward the end of this. What is my stance on the subject? If you haven't already guessed, it is a position that very few people have. I am against it. Cohabitors tend to live together for various reasons. The original intent might have been a good one. They may need to rely on one another for financial reasons. They want to see if they can just test the waters before marriage. They want to prove to the world that they are independent or they just feel that they need somebody. All these reasons are natural and there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. However, cohabiting is the wrong solution. During a cohabiting situation, Sometimes the partners end up sexually intimate. This also brings in the moral question Is it wrong to have sex outside of marriage? Like I said, refer to my episode, Why Sex Outside of Marriage is Wrong. <laughs> And now, a word from our sponsor. We all depend on our cell phones, laptops, tablets, computers, and other devices. They are the lifeblood of a business. They store priceless information. They help us with school assignments. They keep us in touch with friends and loved ones. They keep us on time to appointments or remind us of important dates. One of the most frustrating and sometimes devastating things is when one of your devices doesn't function as well anymore or even completely stops working. This is where Integrity Device Repair comes to the rescue. Integrity Device Repair is a concierge device repair company that can set up and fix your smartphone, tablet, Mac or PC, smartwatch, gaming console or music player and help you master it. They can help in selected stores or over the phone. They're down to earth and professional technicians will physically meet you anywhere in the state of Colorado, whether it be where you work or live. Pick a location and they'll be there, rain, snow or shine. Are you outside of Colorado? No problem. Simply mail your device in and Integrity Device Repair will take care of it cracked screens water damage speaker issues no signal device rebuilds or battery issues no job is too difficult for integrity device repair do you need a new case for your cell phone a flash drive a bluetooth headset the latest laptop or cellular device integrity device repair offers competitive prices for all these as well contact integrity device repair at idrtech.us that's idrtech.us they have the highest ratings on google and many satisfied customer testimonials. as a promotional opportunity exclusively for listeners of this podcast, enter the word UNDRGRCE in all caps into the message section under customer support and receive a 10% discount on your purchase. Try Integrity Device Repair and they will live up to their honest reputation with their fair pricing and flexible schedule. Integrity Device Repair. They can fix it almost as fast as you can break it. (music) Roland Johnson, a university sociologist, describes four categories of cohabitors. The large majority of cohabiting relationships he finds are among college-age individuals. Johnson's cohabiting groups are Linus Blanket, Emancipation, Convenience, and Testing Relationships. The following is a brief description of each. Number 1. The Linus Blanket Relationship This type of cohabiting relationship is founded on the overwhelming need to be involved with somebody. The desire to be loved is so vast and strong that many will settle for whoever is out there rather than choosing someone they're compatible with. The person seeking a Linus Blanket relationship can be either male or female, but more often it is female. This person needs to feel the security of being loved and cared for and will accept almost anyone. When there is conflict, they often give in rather than stand up for themselves. This turns into compromise, which later revolves into control by the other partner. This can lead to emotional and even physical abuse. There is great fear of this relationship ending. They might feel trapped or as if they are running a vicious cycle. In cohabiting, the end comes when one walks out. This leaves the remaining person as is feeling lost, abused, and used. They are often left in an extreme state of rejection, depression, and loss of self-esteem. Number two, the Emancipation Relationship. This type of cohabiting relationship occurs when the person wants to prove to their peers or their parents that they are free to make their own choices and are not bound by limitations. The emancipation relationship is not one which encourages the couple to work through communication skills or conflict resolution. It is not a relationship that encourages the development toward a marriage. It is usually just a protest to the world that says, I can. The relationship between the cohabitors is, however, not the reason for living together. There is no foundation for the partners to stand on. It is a weak excuse to cohabitate, and more often than not, the two cohabitors break up not too long into their relationship. Number three, the convenience relationship. This type of cohabiting relationship is convenient, it is said, for economic reasons. The intent is to split expenses 50-50, just like roommates. It's cheaper for two to live together and contribute, right? However, Economical advantages shouldn't solely determine whether something is morally right or wrong. Since the majority of cohabiting relationships are short-lived, and economics is obviously not an overwhelming hindrance, then why allow it to become a controlling factor from the start? Since sexual intimacy often happens between two cohabitors, the moral questions should instead be, what is my sexuality worth? And... Will I save myself for my hopefully lifelong spouse? However, studies have found that in a convenience relationship, the woman ends up supporting the man. They contribute to more than 70% of the income. The burden placed on the woman's expenses thus nullifies the reason for a convenience. Because cohabitating relationships are usually college-aged people, the woman ends up working more to pick up the slack. This consequently affects her studies by having to pay less attention to school and more attention to her job. Some men really do give our whole gender a bad name, don't they? The same can be said about women, but that's for another story. The partner's beginning intentions might be noble. They probably originally planned for an impartial type of housekeeping where both of them will do equal work and contribute evenly. Instead, it moves into a traditional role where the male prevails and the female submits. Of course, this is ideal for the man. The woman finds herself doing general housework like cooking, cleaning, doing laundry, or running errands. The male might mean well at first, but usually he reverts back to the stereotypical model portrayed by too many men in today's culture. He goes out with his buddies, plays with his toys, and does things apart from making sure his home is in order. He does these things because he now has a female who does the other work that he doesn't have to do anymore. I don't want to paint a bad picture of us guys. And remember, this is the majority of guys, not 100% of us. There are exceptions. Now remember, this convenience relationship is between unmarried people. If the two were married... Things would be a lot different, and there would be a lot more motivation to make things work. In the beginning, the female might view this type of cohabiting relationship as a first step toward marriage. However, the man might see it much differently. This is where the difference between men and women really presents itself. The man might view this relationship more as a sexual opportunity instead of a long-term commitment. Plain and simple, this relationship is convenient. It ends up being very convenient for the man, but not so for the woman. Kevin Lehman in Smart Kids Stupid Choices says, It's kind of like giving someone a million dollars and later finding out you gave it to the wrong person. But now he or she is gone and so is your money. Gone for good. You don't have it anymore. And the person who should have had it will never get it. Number four, the testing relationship. This type of cohabiting relationship tests the waters before jumping in. You test drive a car before you buy it, so why not do the same with your lifelong relationships? (laughs) You try on a pair of shoes to see if they fit before you buy them, so why wouldn't you do the same thing here before you marry your spouse? When you test drive a car, you don't pack your personal luggage in the trunk, or when you try on a pair of new shoes, you don't want everyone else's foot odor and fungus already in them. You can throw away shoes without hurting anyone, but you can't throw away a person without hurting them and possibly others. A couple who wants to test their relationship before they marry by cohabitating is committed or they think they're committed to marriage. They want to first see if they are compatible with each other by practicing marriage. They plan to move in together, get married someday, are so in love and so happy The testing relationship is, however, one of the worst excuses for partners to move in together. The meaning of testing is to discover the relationship's weak points, or points of breaking. Because the couple is testing for defects and unsuccessfulness, this puts an extra strain on the relationship. Partners who use testing as an excuse to move in together are doomed for failure because the entire reason behind their cohabitation is to seek out the negative, Usually when they're looking for something negative, they'll find it. It is also true that the longer the partners cohabitate, the more tolerant they are of divorce. They become used to living in a low-committed relationship, and it's hard to shift from that mental pattern. Because of this low-committed relationship, the couple doesn't work through problems because there is an easy way out. They aren't legally bound to remain together. All one has to do is simply pack up and leave. There are no attorneys, usually, and there are no divorce papers. If one of the partners eventually marries someone else, they become more open to divorce in that relationship because of their skewed view on a relationship without commitment. This type of cohabiting has fewer problems than the other three, but studies show that testing relationship couples are still no better off in the long run for having successful marriages. The relationship usually dissolves after four years. Here's a quote by C.S. Lewis from his book, Screwtape Letters. The truth is that wherever a man lies with a woman, there, whether they like it or not, a transcendental relation is set up between them, which must be eternally enjoyed or eternally endured. Now that I've brought up some issues with moving in together, let's talk about the solutions to each cohabiting relationship. Number 1. The Linus Blanket Relationship This relationship is based on a need for closeness with another human. Maybe the person seeking this type of relationship has had a lack of security, love, or care from a parent. Because of this, they seek that need out in the wrong person, just about anybody who shows them attention. This leaves them worse off in the end from where they started, and it will take them even longer to reach a state where they can trust again. I'm not a psychologist or a shrink, but I believe this person can still find true love and acceptance from another human without living with them or having an intimate relationship together. They can date, they can pursue closeness with someone of the opposite gender in a healthy way in which they could still have some control over the situation and their own decisions. Whenever they feel the power is in the hands of the other person who they might not fully trust, that's where fear sets in. Of course, they can't live their life continually thinking that someone is going to betray them, but they can gain some control over their situation so they can eventually fully trust someone else and reach that level where they are truly confident. Personal confidence is the ultimate goal here, not intimacy, a one-night stand, or living with someone who they at first feel attached to. Closeness with another human can be fulfilled not only in the physical, sexual realm but also in deep conversation, a physical activity like sports, hiking, or biking, or simply snuggling up on the couch to a good movie. This can also be shared not only with a person of the opposite gender, but also with someone of the same gender, except for the snuggling part. It would be much healthier to live with someone of the same gender. Number 2. The Emancipation Relationship Solution I think this is the most immature excuse for two people to cohabitate. It seems almost childish for someone to overlook cohabitating with someone just for the excuse that says, I could do it, or I don't need to be ruled by my parents anymore. Because those are used for excuses, this relationship will usually dissolve very soon. A relationship should be built on security, common interests, experience, time, patience, and communication. What do I suggest for someone in this situation? they can prove their emancipation and independence in other ways that won't end up hurting them in the long run buy a car go to college get a job write a book or move in with someone of the same gender number three the convenience relationship solution this relationship is probably one of the most common reasons for cohabitation it just seems logical that if two people can't make ends meet while living alone that they should move in together However, as previously stated, this ends up being convenient for the male and not for the female. Men need motivation. We need to feel like our hard work is recognized and appreciated. We are content with living without decorations or glamour. We're okay with working the same job for years. We are task-oriented. We don't like change very much. It has been said that men are like waffles. We compartmentalize things into categories and logically go from one area to the next in a very specific order. Women, however, are very different from men, if you haven't noticed. They're constantly looking for ways to make things better. They want to improve or upgrade. They are emotionally oriented. Women are like spaghetti. They have a maze of ideas, problems, and solutions. They can never deal with only one thing at a time. They are constantly multitasking in different directions. While this may seem unorganized to a man, the woman has it all together in her mind, and they are usually successful that way. That is why usually a woman needs a man, and a man needs a woman. What I'm saying is that if a convenient cohabitating relationship were instead a married relationship, the couple would have the goal to work things out, not just live together as roommates. They would work through their differences and communicate because they want to remain married. However, a cohabitating couple isn't legally bound. The only thing that keeps a convenience cohabitating couple together is the fact that if they lived apart, they couldn't make it. There might be an emotional connection between them, but it is nothing like if they were married. As in the two other solutions, I suggest that if someone has trouble getting by with living on their own, They could move in with someone of the same gender. They could even humble themselves and temporarily move back in with their parents until they get back on their feet. Money doesn't buy happiness, but it sure does run our lives sometimes, doesn't it? Number four, the solution for the testing relationship. This type of cohabitation is most likely the biggest reason a guy and a gal move in together. Because of today's statistics, 45-50% to of first marriages end in divorce, They would rather see if they are compatible with one another first before signing on the dotted line, marrying, and possibly becoming among one of the statistics. That's the whole reason for them to enter into this cohabitation, to see if they can fail. That's what divorce is, isn't it? A failed marriage? It is a very dysfunctional way of looking at marriage, however. Marriage is all about faith, right? The man hopes that his woman can respect him, adore him, compliment him, praise him, emotionally support him, birth his children, and keep his house. The woman has faith that her man will love her, lavish her with adoration, treat her like his queen, pursue her, be honest to her, assure her, and provide for her. Faith can turn into trust if the two stick together. However, if the first big decision between the couple is to cohabitate in order to test to see if they could make it by practicing before marriage— That's not faith. It's not trust. It's a big setup for failure. Instead, as I've said before, the first time a couple should live together should be when they are married. Marriage shouldn't be a journey of learned mistakes, of working through the new things, not trying them out to see if they will be unsuccessful. This is also true with premarital sex. In conclusion... So, am I saying that partners are doomed for failure no matter what their reason for cohabitation is? No. There are a few couples out there who have made it. However, cohabitation usually has an unhappy ending. My ex-wife and I did not live together before we married, and our divorce had nothing to do with our premarital living arrangements. I remember experiencing so many new things when we were newlyweds, it was such an exciting feeling to go through doing laundry together for the first time, making our bed, paying bills, going grocery shopping, taking care of each other when one of us was sick, and all those new things that we went through. If we had already lived together, none of that would be new. The excitement we would have experienced after marriage would have already passed. It was so much better while we were married. Everything was brand new, it was fresh. It wasn't an old habit that we had constantly done if we had cohabitated. I don't know what it's like to live with someone of the opposite gender before marriage, but I do know what I experienced without cohabitating was such a great encounter. I'll leave you with some statistics of cohabitating. Living together is considered to be more stressful than being married. Just over 50% of first cohabiting couples never get married. In the United States and the United Kingdom, couples who live together are at greater risk for divorce than non-cohabiting couples. Couples who live together before marriage tend to divorce early in their marriage. If their marriage lasts seven years, then their risk for divorce is the same as couples who didn't cohabit before marriage. In France and Germany, cohabiting couples have a slightly lower risk of divorce for some reason. And finally... In the U.S., cohabiting couples taking premarital education courses or counseling are not at a high risk for divorce. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Undergrace Podcast. If you have any questions, ideas for future episodes, or would like to drop me a line, please email me at theundergracepodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at undergracepodcast and Twitter at UG podcast 316. Now go forth and live your lives under God's never ending grace.